Well, we come to the last phrase, the last thought in the Apostles' Creed tonight. And that thought is quite simply, I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. It comes to a crescendo almost after talking about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. After talking about the church and, and the uh, communion of the saints. Talking about forgiveness of sins that comes in Christ. Uh, and talking about Christ coming again. All these great themes of the, of the Christian gospel are presented there. And then this final one he comes to say that I believe, the Apostles' Creed says, I believe in the, uh, in the resurrection of the body and in life eternal. Now that's, a, that's an interesting statement. That's a, that's a statement that we sort of casually pass over sometimes. We think about, well, of course, we believe in eternal life. That's what that, that's, a lot of us might even say. That's why we came to Christ, because we wanted eternal life. I know a lot of times our evangelistic emphases uh, talk about, hey, you need to come to Christ so you don't go to hell. You know, there's that, there's that uh, uh, carrot, if you will, to, to try to get people to make a profession of faith. Uh, while that probably is not the best reason, uh, it's probably been a motivation for many people along the way. That concept, that idea of life everlasting. Uh, I wanted to, to show something to you tonight, and I just I didn't get here in time to get it set up to do. Uh, but I wanted to show you, and you can go look at it yourself if you want to, but there was a, uh, one of the banned uh, commercials at the Super Bowl tonight. You know, every year they get a lot of requests, and they refuse some. They refused, refused, refused one by this website, uh, which I was in favor of them refusing, by the way, which uh, basically encouraged adultery. If you are interested in having an affair, go to this website and we'll match you up with somebody and help you to have an affair. Ashley something. Anyway, uh, I was kind of glad they banned that one, to be honest with you, because it was very uh, very damaging in so many ways. But another one that they, I wasn't going to show you that one. Uh, the one that, the, another one that they banned was uh, one that uh, was put out by a, a group that I'm familiar with in Birmingham called Fixed Point Foundation who basically concentrates on debates between people. Red and I went down, you may remember a couple of years ago, when John Lennox, Christian professor at Oxford, debated Richard Dawkins, the, uh, the uh, atheist, and they debated over the existence of God. And Fixed Point is primarily about doing that. Well, they, they produced this um, uh, Super Bowl ad, which was really quite clever. It showed some folks having a Super Bowl party. Probably not unlike our youth are doing down at the youth center tonight and others are doing all over the country. And they're all excited because this guy, the quarterback drops back and, and their guy crushes the quarterback, sacks him on fourth and two or something. And they're all cheering and yelling. And when the camera zeroes in on the, uh, on the linebacker that sacked him, he's got eyeshadow on. And what do you think it says? You don't know. John 316. Yeah. You know, you see it at all sorts of ball games. And they sit down uh, with their adult beverages in their hands, and, and one of them says, John 3, 6, what's that? The other guy said, I don't know. I've seen it in the stadium times too, but I don't know. He said, here, I'll look it up. And he reached over and got his smartphone, and he starts looking it up. As he looks it up, it cuts away, and there's a screen that says, if you'd like to know more, go to lookup316.com. 
and uh, it's it's really well done. And then you go to three go to three six go look up three sixteen, and there they have a three point gospel presentation that is really maybe the best. Very simple. Very uh, somebody asked me this morning if it was as if it was as good as two ways to live, and I said it's different. Two ways to live is fairly lengthy as tracks go. This one is just a very simple three-point presentation. It's probably the best I've ever seen. But that was banned uh, because Fox felt like that was just a little too controversial to, uh, to be on during the uh, Super Bowl time. It will be interesting tonight. I always find it interesting to see what makes the cut and what gets on there. And uh, I, will, I set my uh, TiVo before I left home tonight just because, not that I won't go back and watch any of the game, but I will go back and fast forward through to the commercials and see what the commercials are all about on the thing. Now, why do I say that? Well, John 3.16 kind of relates to what this text is talking about. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And, and the creed says, this last phrase, we believe in life everlasting. Now, the idea of life everlasting gives the idea that it's, uh, it's basically a time or a spatial sort of thing. But we know that it's far more than that as we understand what the Scripture says. There are skeptics out there like, like uh, Richard Dawkins in our day and a former generation, Bertrand Russell, who have told us that belief in or hope for eternal life is really a foolish thing to think about. That we really are just mass and matter all put together and when, when this body collapses, when this body dies, it's done. That it goes back to the dirt, it, it de, uh, disintegrates and goes back to dirt, uh, dust, and there's nothing else. That's all there is. Well, the scripture seems to give a little different picture of that than, uh, than the finality and the, the negative finality that Dawkins and Russell and hundreds of others would say. But even some Christians today uh, seem embarrassed when you start talking about eternal life. You know, when that subject comes up, uh, there are a lot of Christians who just kind of say, well, uh, yeah, uh, and they kind of shy away from it. And we act as though really all there is is what's happening in this world now. Uh, many Christians do a lot of things to extend life to the max, uh, afraid that, that you know, if they don't keep themselves in this body and live on this earth, then it's all going to be over with. Or at least that's the picture they give. And, and so when the creed talks about, I believe in the resurrection of the body and in life everlasting, it's talking about and answering some very critical questions that our generation is asking. I, I'm always drawn to Luke chapter 18, if you want to turn there with me, uh, the story of what has been dubbed the rich young ruler. And uh, a lot of speculation, a lot of discussion has gone on about who this might be and who it was and where he came from and where he went and the sadness of the end that he rejects Christ and we don't know exactly who he is. We don't know if maybe later he came around to Christ. One tradition says that he really did, that this, this rich young ruler was actually John Mark who became the, uh, the traveling companion of Peter and uh, later on in life. And, and so you, there's a couple of kind of signals in Acts and a couple of other places that maybe give the idea that that's the case. I don't know who it is, but he asked a very pertinent and a very pointed question 
when he starts out as he comes to Jesus at night. He said, a ruler, doesn't say he's rich, doesn't say he's young, but just a ruler. A ruler questioned him saying, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, in some cases, that's a philosophical question. For some people, it's sort of a, a philosophical thought that can we talk about what we must do to inherit eternal life. And, and, and that's a question that many people ask, whether they realize it or not, because they really do hope that there's something beyond the grave. They really do hope there's something more and something uh, greater, if you will, beyond this life. I, I think you can see that if you watch much television. Uh, you can see that on some of the talk shows and even some of the news shows in the morning drive me crazy because they'll bring these nuts on there from time to time. But, but you see people come on who are spiritists or mediums or, 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 or channelers who, who come on and basically say that they have the ability to see and to communicate with and even to, in a sense, bring back somebody from the other side who can inhabit their body and they can... Talk to the person that you want to, uh, that, that you're interested in, that you're concerned about. And, and so a lot of times we get people who, who make these great claims that we can contact the next world. We have an ability, they would say, to contact the next world. Then you have people like uh, Don Piper. Don't confuse that with John Piper. But Don Piper and Betty Eddy and a few others who say, well, we've died. We died and we went to heaven. We, we transgressed that great divide and, and we got over there and we talked to Jesus and we talked to Peter or we talked to whoever. And, and you know, there they told us some things that we've come back to tell you now. And, and generally, especially, Piper tries to, Don Piper tries to make it a little more Christianized in his writing. But, but Betty Eddy is clear to just deny the, the basics of the gospel. She comes back and says, oh, Jesus told me to not worry about it, that he's not the only way, that everybody's going to heaven and everything's going to be all right. And Christians flock to her books, especially in about 10 years ago. Christians were reading that book. I would go into church at some places. Didn't often where I was pastor because if I saw it, I pitched a fit. And so they hid it if they had it anyway. But I'd go into church at some place and they'd be carrying that book around like it was their second Bible. There's an interest in our culture. There's an interest in our nation about is there something beyond. And sometimes we look at it, if you will, to, to steal a, uh, an old country song, we look for it in all the wrong places. There, there's several things you need to think about when you're hearing a medium or a Chandler or a, or a Betty Eddy type or a Don Piper type. Several things you need to, to think of, uh, basic facts that you ought to think about when you hear these people, and you ought to listen to them carefully and discerningly based on these three things. One, most of the messages that they communicate from the departed are distressingly trivial and self-absorbed. Uh, most of the messages are syrupy almost, uh, and it, it, it never a message comes back and says, hey, if you don't get your act straight and turn to Christ, you're going to hell. I mean, they never, I've never heard one say that. Uh, I've never heard one come back from uh, speaking the other side and say, here's a message I have for you. Repent, for judgment is coming. Never, never say that. It's usually, oh, you need to lose some weight and, 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 and do a few things for yourself and, and you'll feel a whole lot better. Well, yeah. The messages are self-absorbed. They're trivial. 
Secondly, the messages typically do, no, I won't say typically, I'll say never. The messages never come from those who in this life are walking close with God, who, who really are walking close to Jesus Christ. Uh, they usually have a, a, a theology, they have one that's rather confused and usually lifts up man rather than lifting up God. And then third, mediums and their, their controls, those they're talking up to on the other side, uh, are embarrassed by the name of Jesus. They really are. They're embarrassed by the name of Jesus, especially the Jesus of the Bible. And so while we live in a day that is asking this same question that the rich young ruler said, what must I do or what shall I do to inherit eternal life? At least he went to the source where he could find the answer. Most in our culture are trying to find it somewhere embarrassingly wrong. Well, Jesus answered him and said, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now there's you know, some will look at it and say, see, Jesus is saying he's not God. No, just the opposite. Jesus is acknowledging that he's right in calling him good, but only God is good, and he's God in the flesh. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, all these things I have kept from my youth. Wow. Anybody want to stand with a rich young ruler tonight and say all these things I've kept from my youth? I certainly can't. I had one of my deacons call me on Friday evening. We were going to Bowling Green to, uh, to meet our son and daughter-in-law for dinner for a belated birthday where we got snowed out, and he was coming back from Bowling Green. And uh, he called me, we'd talked once or twice, and he called me one other time, and he said, well, I, I just want, my wife wanted me to call and tell you this, and I know it really won't be a problem to you, because I know you, you, you obey the laws of man just like you do the laws of God, and, uh, but, but she wanted me to tell you there's a speed trap down on 65, and uh, you need to watch out for it. And I said, well, I appreciate it, because you're right, I do obey the laws of man just about like I do the laws of God. I tend to violate them. And it's because of his grace and his sacrifice that he obeyed them for me, and I trust in that because I can't do it. Well, this rich young ruler was a whole lot better than me, or at least a whole lot bolder than me, in saying, listen, I've kept all these from my youth. When Jesus said this, or heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you possess and distribute it to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when he had heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Now there's where we get the rich part of the rich young ruler. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard is it for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, understand what Jesus is saying here is very very important to understand eternal life. He's not saying that the only way for salvation is to go and sell everything you've got. That if you, if you want eternal life and you've kept the commandments perfectly, then go and sell everything you possess, 
give it to the poor, and come and follow me, and you will have eternal life. Now, I'm, I'm always impressed that Jesus did say to him, you know, one thing you lack. But it wasn't the selling. It wasn't the giving up of what he owned. It was the giving up ownership of his life. It was giving up the possessiveness and letting his things possess him. Letting them be idols in his life. Because you can't worship idols and worship God. You can't worship money and worship God. You can't worship anything. And, and this rich young ruler, he was rich. He had a lot. And he was sad that Jesus said that because he still worshipped what he possessed. While he wanted to talk about eternal life, while he talked about desiring it, he really wasn't willing to go as far as following Christ completely, surrendering everything about his life to Christ. So we, we see the words of Jesus to rich young ruler. We see the facts of warning against the spiritists of our day and, and the phenomena that's rampant within our country. And sometimes we, we fail to understand what the, the Book of Common Prayer called the blessed hope of everlasting life. The blessed hope of everlasting life. Now, now what does the creed mean? when it says the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. Well, it, it, one thing we have to understand when the creed speaks of that, it doesn't mean just an endless existence. It doesn't mean that life everlasting is just life that will never end. The demons have that. The lost have that. The lost will experience eternal existence in hell with, with all the things and all the, the, the requisite punishments that go along with a life of disobedience to Christ. I mean, that is a, that is a given. And, and that is eternal. And, and it is, is a time where they suffer the wrath of God as the devil does and as the demons do, as Satan does, because that's what's drawn out if they're not in Christ. Everlasting life is a reality for everybody. In that sense... We are immortal beings. We cross over and there is another life beyond the grave for everybody, believer and unbeliever alike. Angels and demons have, eternal, have everlasting life. We need to understand that. But what the creed is talking about, I think, and, and what we believe in as eternal life is really it's entering into the final joy which Jesus entered into. Uh, in a few weeks we'll get to, to uh, Hebrews chapter 12 and we'll see there in verses 1 and 2, it says, uh, well, verse 2 really is all we're interested in. It says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, for, uh, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Basically, what got Jesus through the cross and through the suffering and bearing our sin was the joy that he knew he would have for eternity back where he belonged, back in the presence of his Father. And the everlasting life that we're talking about here is a joy that is beyond the grave. He promised and he prayed for his disciples numerous occasions, but two just as an example. In John chapter 12, verse 26, he said, Where I am, 
there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Jesus said, listen, those who are my servants, those who are, are a part of my family, who are my doulos, my slaves, they will be where I am. They will be brought to me. I'm going ahead to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place, I will come again and take you there. I mean, Jesus is very clear about that, that everlasting life is something that will be in the presence of Jesus. And he prayed in, in John 17, 24, the, the great high priestly prayer. He said, Father, I desire that they also, that is the disciples, those who trust me, those who follow me, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory. I mean, the, the idea of everlasting life is, is to be in the presence of Christ, to see the glory of Christ, and to abide there for all of eternity. Being with Jesus is the essence of heaven. Being with Him in His presence is the essence of heaven. It's what life everlasting is all about. It's about worship. It's about surrounding the throne of God and the, and the throne that Christ inhabits and bowing down and worshiping Him. I tell people all the time, they say, well, I just get bored in worship. I'm going to say, well, then just go out and go wild because you're going to hate heaven. You'd hate heaven anyway. Well, what do you mean I'd hate heaven? Don't I get everything I want in heaven? No, you don't get everything you want. You get to worship Christ. You get to worship God. Well, that sounds boring. That's what I'm saying. If you don't like worship here, you're not going to care for heaven when that time comes because it's all about being with Christ. I remember John Piper. Get your pipers straight here. John Piper, a few years ago, asked a question at a pastor's conference I was in. He said, what if you could have all the blessings of heaven, all the joys of heaven? You could have the streets of gold. You could have the mansion. You could have whatever. You'd never be sick again. You'd never share a tear again. Everything would be great. But Jesus wasn't there. Would you still want to go? Now be honest. For too many of us, we're all caught up in the, in the self-serving. We're all caught up in the, in the whew, man, it's going to be great. I'm not going to be overweight anymore. You know, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just be able to ha eat whatever I want and enjoy that. I'm going to have this nice house that Jesus built for me and it's been built for me, and, and, and Jesus is going to be somewhere else. Do I still want to go? That little question will tell you a lot about your theology and a lot about your worship and a lot about your views of Christ. I love, what, I love the old novel written by John Bunyan titled Pilgrim's Progress. Some of you probably read it, but I remember there was one particular phrase in there by Mr. Standfast. You know, he had all these names of characters, Christian and, and, and various ones who describe what they're trying to do. And there was Mr. Standfast in Pilgrim's Progress. And he said, uh, he was quoted at one point as saying, I have formerly lived by hearsay and faith. But now I go where I shall live by sight and shall be with him in whose company I delight myself. In whose company I delight myself. What do you delight in in this world? 
do you delight, do you delight in Christ and worship and, and being with Him? Or do you mainly just say, well, that's just for Sunday. I delight the rest of the week in whatever I do, my possessions, whatever there is. The everlastingness of this life is Christ. Jesus said in that high priestly prayer as he began it, John 17, you remember it, he said, he said, Father, this is eternal life, that they may know you and know your Son whom you sent. This is eternal life, that they may know you and your Son whom you have sent. Probably one of the most popular ways of having that spelled out and expressed is expressed in a, a hymn that is mostly by uh, John Newton. Uh, we kind of sing it a lot around here, entitled Amazing Grace. And I said it was mostly written by John Newton because what is arguably the most popular verse Newton didn't write. It was added by some anonymous, anonymous writer years later. And you know what the, the last verse is, the one that was added by this anonymous writer. It's when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun. We've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. I'm, I'm sure Newton wishes he had written that, but he didn't. But, New, but the writer of that was clearly describing what is taking place in heaven. If you take your Bibles and turn over with me quickly to... Uh, uh, to Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5. And here what's taking place in heaven. John's been brought up. Jesus said, come up here and I want to show you what's going on. I want to show you what's happening in heaven. And when he got up there, this is what he saw. Chapter 4 says, And after these things I looked up, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I had heard, like the sound of the trumpet speaking to me, that's Jesus, said, come up here. And I will show you what must take place after these things. And immediately I was in the Spirit. And behold, a throne was standing in heaven and one sitting on the throne. And he who was sitting was like a jasper stone and a sardis in appearance. And, and there was a rainbow around the throne like an emerald in appearance. Around the throne were 24 thrones. And upon those thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads. And out from the throne came flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal. And in the center and around the throne, four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. Now those are scary sounding creatures. Got eyes in the front and eyes in the back, and they're full of them. The first creature was like a lion, and the second creature like a calf, and the third creature had the face like that of a man, and the fourth creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, sounds like the, uh, the, the seraphim or the cherubim that, that was talked about in, in uh, uh, Isaiah chapter 6, each of them had six wings and full of eyes around and within, and day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God the Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. And then the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and to him who lives forever and ever. 
And the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and they will worship him who lives forever and ever and they will cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and because of your will they existed and were created. Worshiping a sovereign God is what heaven is all about. Being in Christ's presence forever, worshiping Him, is what heaven and everlasting life is all about. He goes on in chapter 5 and talks about the one sitting there breaking seals and all this kind of thing. And, and down in verse 6 he says, I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out to all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken the book, the, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. And, the, and then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. That's us. We're the myriads, we're the thousands, those who've gone to be with the Lord. And every created thing which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all the things in them, I heard saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen, 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 Amen. And the elders fell down and they worshiped. Probably didn't put enough amens in there because it said they were continually, they kept saying that, but you get the picture. Some of us will like that, getting to say amen without any inhibition. Some of us will have to learn to do it, all right? But the point is, everlasting life is worship. But I want you to understand something very, very important. Everlasting life, eternal life that the creed talks about here does not just begin when we die. It doesn't, even it doesn't begin when the body is resurrected. Oh, there's a, there'll be a new dimension of it, I think, then. There'll be, a, there'll be something different about that, probably something a little extra special about that. But eternal life does not begin with death or the resurrection of the body. Believers have eternal life now in Christ. This is eternal life, that they may know you and know your only Son that you've sent. This is eternal life, that you can know God now through Jesus Christ. This is eternal life, that it begins the moment you, you come to Christ through regeneration, through what Jesus said to, to, uh, to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Nicodemus, wise as he was, teacher of the, of the Jews as he was, 
didn't understand it. He scratched his head and he said, I can't go back into my mother's womb and be born again, can I? No, Nicodemus, you don't understand. I'm not talking about physical birth. I'm talking about spiritual birth. I'm talking about a newness of life that is not only time-wise, not only quality-wise, or not only quantity-wise, but quality-wise, that begins the moment you come to Christ. Believers who have that eternal life now value their relationship with Jesus above everything else. It's more important than job and family and money and reputation and sports. More important than everything else. You treasure it. You value it. You, you rejoice in it. Eternal life is forever. It's just that. It's eternal. It begins now. Never ends. But only those who put their trust in Christ. Only those who put their trust in Jesus Christ. Will have eternal life. In a few weeks, when we get into another study after Hebrews. We're going to talk about that exclusivity idea. We're going to talk about how that sounds weird to our modern culture, but it's the absolute truth. It's only in Christ that there is life, eternal life. So the creed says, this is what we believe. We believe in the resurrection of the body, and we believe in life, the life, everlasting, in the presence of God in the presence of Christ forever and forever. And just as an aside, it's not going to be boring. You're not going to get tired of it. You're just going to keep wanting to do it more and more and more. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful that we can bow in your presence. We are grateful for eternal life. We are grateful for the truth of the gospel. And Father, we pray tonight that your Holy Spirit will just reconfirm that in we who know you. That you will draw us even closer to our Savior. Lord, help us overcome any embarrassment that we might have about talking about eternal life because it is a reality. It is a truth promised by Jesus himself, your Son, our Savior, our Lord. And it's not a matter of he said it, we believe it, and that settles it. It's a matter of he said it, that settles it, whether we believe it or not. Help us, Lord with the creed to say, I believe. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.